Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I, I have tried various different tactics to learn how to pray more intimately uh, with, with God, more deeply in my prayer for longer periods of time and, and more consistently. One, one of the things that I've tried um, throughout the years is, uh, is tying my own prayer knots or making my own prayer beads. So this is not a rosary. I guess this would be called a Protestant rosary. But, um, but I, I thought maybe if I had a, a template to follow, it would help me learn how to pray more intimately, more deeply. So I made these prayer beads uh, that I follow along, and each bead, each knot has a certain prayer to pray. Kind of helpful. And I, I even wrote um, and published just for myself a prayer journal where I could write in the prayer journal um, prayers throughout the week and then go back and, and circle the ones God has answered. And, and that's really fun as well. And uh, both of these techniques are all kind of built on my own willpower, my own desire and drive to draw closer to God. I, I really want to. We just did a prayer course not too long ago, and, and we all went around the room. What do we hope to gain from the prayer course? And I, I wanted to pray more consistently for longer periods of time. It's always been my dream. I have to tell you, there is nothing that has helped my prayer life more than the passage of Scripture we're going to read today. There is nothing, there's no technique, there's no uh, item, there's no prop that has helped my prayer life more than what Jesus teaches us about prayer in Luke chapter 11. And I'm hoping as we study Luke chapter 11 and, and we read how Jesus teaches about prayer, I'm hoping that your heart is stirred and moved toward praying more intimately, more deeply, and for longer periods of time with God as well. In fact, let's go to God right now in prayer and ask him to help us. God, we ask you to come help us learn how to pray. We know that you can send your spirit to open up our minds' ability to understand and open up our hearts' ability to remember and have have a passion for prayer. And Lord, we ask that you would do that now. Would you make our church a church of prayer A praying church, Lord, not just a church that sometimes prays. So God, I ask that you would transform us by the power of your word through your Holy Spirit now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So there are different techniques to learn how to pray, different items we could use to help us in our prayer uh, the number one item is, is as we've studied these habits, these spiritual disciplines the last couple of weeks to move us closer to God, to allow us to spend time with Jesus, the number one uh, thing that we need to learn how to pray and use and, and grow closer to God is the Scripture. 
So we want to study scripture. Jacob talked about that several weeks ago. This is the foundation of our spiritual disciplines is the Bible. In fact, I, I, I kind of like this one author says, you know, if you don't immerse yourself in God's word and find out who God is and what he's like, you might end up praying to a God of your invention, a God of your imagination instead of the real God who asked us to pray. And so our foundation for all of our spiritual disciplines, for our habits that draw us closer to God, for our ability to be close to Jesus and spend time with him is the study of Scripture. Our habits go like this, S-C-P-S-C-D, study, Scripture, commit to community. We looked at last week, two are better than one, so we want to be in a, involved in a community where we can grow. Today, we're going to talk about prioritize prayer, and then uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, seek solitude, which means be alone with God. Choose church, which we're kind of doing when we gather in this large setting for worship, and then develop disciples. Today, prioritize prayer out of Luke chapter 11. Here is what Jesus says about the priority of prayer. You know, the disciples who were around Jesus, they grew up praying. They knew Jewish prayers. They had prayers that they were supposed to memorize. There's very good evidence that probably Jesus and his disciples, every time they woke up in the morning, would recite the Shema, a prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And Jesus probably would continue that prayer time where he would say, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's very good evidence that they would wake up and say that prayer. And John's disciples, John taught them how to pray. The rabbis taught their disciples how to pray. But there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. There was something different. And he would go off by himself and pray. He would pray before any big decision. He would pray before any miraculous event. He would pray after the miraculous event. He would pray before he drove out demons. He would pray before he healed people. And there was something different about the way he prayed, different than the disciples had ever been taught. And they came to him and they said, Jesus, we want what you got. Teach us how to pray. They, they, they made a direct correlation between the way Jesus lived and did things and even performed miracles with his prayer life. And so in Luke chapter 11, the, uh, Luke describes this scene. He writes this narrative of, of this is what happened with Jesus and his disciples. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, okay. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, anybody that has grown up in the church before has probably heard a prayer similar, similar to that prayer. The prayer recorded in Matthew's gospel has a couple of extra words, a couple of extra sentences. It's called the Lord's Prayer oftentimes. And if you've grown in the church, you've heard this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In fact, for centuries, for centuries, churches, when they would gather, the people would gather, they would recite those words together. And they have done that for, for centuries at a time. In fact, it was only when we became, a lot of Protestant churches stopped saying that prayer. Jesus gave us the model to pray, and he also said, these are the words you can pray. You can use it as a model. This is how you theme your prayers, but you can also use these words as the words to pray. I, I think the reason why it's recorded maybe a little bit differently in Luke is I think Jesus taught his disciples how to pray more often than just one time. I think this is something he wanted 
to stick within them. And so, of course, when he is teaching them several different places, it might record or sound a little bit differently. But uh, this is a fantastic model for prayer and a great way to pray. But this is not where Jesus stops in his lesson on prayer. He continues and he gives three illustrations, two illustrations to uh, bring together one point about prayer uh, as soon as he says this. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And then, boom, he, he moves right into the next illustration to continue this lesson on prayer. Then Jesus said to them, which one of you have a friend? And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of his concern for honor, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think this lesson on prayer is actually the thing that this lesson Jesus teaches This lesson is what will help us, if you have a desire, to pray more intimately, more consistently, deeper prayers for longer periods of time. I think if you take this lesson to heart, it will change the way you pray. I think think it will change the way you pray because the lesson actually reveals the heart of God and who we are praying to. This lesson reveals the heart of God and who we are praying to. And he starts with... This word, he said, say, Father, God is our heavenly Father. The number one lesson I think Jesus wants to take from this teaching on prayer is about the goodness and generosity of God's fatherhood. The goodness and generosity of God's fatherhood. In the Old Testament, I think God clearly explains and reveals that he is a good and generous father. A lot of times there's this misteaching about the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. Some scholars teach that they are two separate beings because in the Old Testament we read, it seems like we read more about the wrath and anger of God than we do in the New Testament. I got to tell you that is a, a misrepresentation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as as in the New Testament. I think one of the reasons why it gets misrepresented sometimes is um, just like any relationship. If you have a relationship and it is really good and it has been going good for days and weeks and months, if you have a fight and you yell at each other, what do you remember for the next several days? You remember somebody yelled at you and hurt your feelings. So it, it doesn't matter that you had... You know, you had 30 days with no fighting, but you have one day with fighting. That's what you remember. I think sometimes we misrepresent God from the Old Testament because we read about the judgment of God and the wrath of God, and that's what sticks in our mind instead of the page after page after page of God's love and generosity and mercy. In Exodus 
chapter 34, Moses has just intervened for the Israelites. God was going to pour out judgment on them. And he said, Moses said, God, uh, don't do this. We, we are going to be your people. Have mercy, have grace. And then God does. He has mercy and grace. And then he asked Moses, what would you like Moses? And Moses said, with such audacity, he said, I want to see you. And God said, well, you can't really see me, but I'm going to set this up. So he, he places Moses in a little cleft of a, of a rock, and he kind of covers him. And he said, I'm going to bring my presence by. And Exodus chapter 34 describes it. Then Yahweh passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of fathers on the children, on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation. Now, depending on your, your idea and understanding of God, you might have only heard God is going to punish to the third and fourth generation. Listen to the first half, though. God weighs heavily on mercy and grace. The Lord is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness and truth. He keeps faithfulness to thousands. He forgives wrongdoing. He punishes the three or four generations. It's a huge difference. Eight different descriptive words for God's mercy. One description for God's anger for sin. God weighs so heavily on goodness and generosity. John Whitaker, preacher John Whitaker, he's from our tribe. He said um, he has trouble with this father language for God. He said his earliest experience with his earthly father, he was three years old and his dad abandoned them. And he said my experience of fatherhood on earth has not been good. And so when he initially hears the term father in heaven, he is impacted and influenced by his earthly experience. And so he said, I need to take a different turn on this. I need to take a different tack. I need to look at this a little bit differently. He said, instead of allowing his experience of an earthly father and his experiences in general to tell him who God the father is, what he's decided to do is let the scripture tell him who God the Father is and explain what good parenting is like and influence him on how to be a good dad. You see the difference? We can take that tact too. If you've had a bad experience with an earthly father, you don't have to let that experience tell you who the Father in heaven is. But you can allow, if you want to, you can choose to do this. You can allow the description of God who is merciful and just and compassionate, and wants to pour love on you and for, offer you forgiveness. And he'll do, he'll, he'll do extreme things to show you he loves you. You can allow the scripture to influence how you understand what a good father is. I have to tell you, God is smitten with you. In Isaiah 49, he talks about how his people... He has engraved their names on his hands. It's a poetic way of saying God is always thinking about you. In Zephaniah chapter 3, it says God sings over us. And there's two ways, there's two ways 
to interpret that word sings. Sometimes it's interpreted sing. Sometimes it's a shout of rejoicing. I think it just depends on, on whether you're a girl or a boy. If you're a girl, you say, oh, God sings over me. And if you're a boy, you want God to shout, oh, it's a boy. And God is shouting and rejoicing over you. He's singing over you. God loves you. The Heavenly Father, with a perfect, compassionate, merciful, generous, good love, loves you. See, this is why we pray. We pray because we want to go spend time with a Father who loves us and wants to cover us with His love. We can pray, and we should pray, because of God's goodness and generosity of his fatherhood. You know, he reveals that goodness and generosity ultimately in Jesus Christ. For God so loved us, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will never perish but have eternal life. Jesus reveals perfectly God's goodness and generosity through his life, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his death, and through his resurrection. God the Father is good and generous. We need to turn to him and pray. Number two, it also explains the greatness of God's reputation. The greatness of God's reputation. I think that's kind of hard for us to grasp. I think the, the wording in our, in our English translations is, is kind of hard to see. But listen to this first story. Jesus says, which one of you has a friend that if you go knock on their door and you ask for bread for a visitor would tell you no? And the, the people in Jesus' day would have been aghast at that. What do you mean they told you no? They were really heavily into a shame and honor culture. And it was, it was the number one thing, it seemed like, the, the baseline of their living was they need to honor guests that show up. And if they don't honor guests that show up, they bring shame on their household and shame on their community. So if you had a visitor show up and you were out of bread, shame is coming on you. So you run as fast as you can to a neighbor's house and you say, hey, loan me some bread because I, and it probably wasn't even a neighbor that's too far, maybe even in the same, same little square of homes. I need some bread because I have a, a visitor. And they would, have, they would have given you bread because they don't want shame on their community. So Jesus says, which one of you has a friend? You go to him and you need bread for a visitor and they'll tell you no. They'll be like, oh, we don't have friends like that. We, we, we are honorable. We want to treat our guests right. And, and Jesus says, it's not because of friendship your friend is going to get up and give you bread. It's because he doesn't want his name dishonored he doesn't want his family's name dishonored. He doesn't want the community's name dishonored. They want to have honor, so he's going to get you the bread you need. God is like that. God cares a lot about his name being glorified. Psalm chapter 23, we've heard this prayer before. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He leads me beside still waters. Boy, he lays me down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He turns me around, verse 3, and he puts me on paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. 
For the sake of his name, he puts me on paths of righteousness. God cares about the sake of his name. He cares about his reputation. He cares about the reputation of his name. In Ezekiel, he says, he says this in Ezekiel chapter 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It's not for your sake, house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. See, they carried the name of God in vain. They carried the name of God on them, and then they went and sinned and worshipped idols. They didn't go track down their people and shepherd them correctly. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares Yahweh God, when I show myself holy among you in their sight. God cares about the reputation of his name. So if you go to him with a need and you are a child of God, what would it say about his reputation if he didn't give you what you needed? Instead, Jesus describes God as the friend who's going to give you what you need so that his name will be glorified. Tony Campola, preacher, Tony Campola tells a story where he was at a, a, a preaching assignment seminar in a church that was um, what he would describe as a holy roller church. Now, that's a little bit different than our church. Our church is more reserved. We don't hear a lot of amens. We don't have a lot of waving of hands, but this church does. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was at a seminar. I came back on fire. Jacob was preaching. I was sitting by my wife down here listening, and I was nodding my head vigorously for what Jacob was saying, which is a little bit expressive here in this church. And my wife, she looked at me and was like, what are you doing? And then Jacob said something else that was pretty good, and I said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my wife was like, shh. And then Jacob said something really profound, and I went, yes! And my wife said, if you don't stop, you're going to have to move. <laughs> Not that she would get up and move. She was going to make me get up and go away. You're allowed to say amen in here. It's okay. Although it does seem to throw me off a little bit. <laughs> Tony Campola was at one of those churches where everybody says amen, where they all wave their hands. And he said before he went out and preached, before he got to go out and preach, the elders of the church, they grabbed him. There were eight of them, he said. And they made him kneel down before he got up and preach. And they put their hands on his head and began to pray over him. And he said, man, this is, a, this is actually a really good thing to be prayed over like this. But he said, they kept praying. And he said, you don't understand that if eight men have their hands on your head, they start to get tired after a while and they start leaning. He said, they're praying on him leaning and it goes on and on, and, and he starts thinking, man, they, they need to wrap this up. And then he said one of the elders didn't even start, he, when he started, he wasn't even praying about the preaching event. He started praying for his friend, Charlie Stolfus. That might be a made-up name, but that's what Tony Campolo said. And he said, this elder said, dear Lord, you have to intervene with Charlie Stolfus, my friend Charlie Stolfus. You know who he is, Lord? And Tony Campolo's like, yes, Lord, he knows who he is. He said, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the street from the church on the left. And Tony Campolo's on his knees saying, you don't need to give God directions. <laughs> and that elder was leaning on him and said, God, you have to intervene. I know Charlie is leaving his wife and three kids. God, would you just intervene? And, and, and Tony said, I, I wish God would intervene. So he could stop leaning on me. 
And he got up and he said he preached and the sermon was fine and he had some amens and he collected his paycheck for his preaching engagement and he was ready to leave and he got in his car and he started driving and uh, he does this sometimes. There was a hitchhiker on the road and he picked up the hitchhiker. He said a couple minutes into their drive, he said, hey, my name's Tony Campolo, what's your name? And the guy said, Charlie Stolfus. And Tony said he got off at the next exit and turned around. And Charlie said, hey, mister, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking you home. And Charlie Stolfus said, what are you talking about? And he said, you just left your wife and kids, didn't you? And he said, he started crawling to the other side of the car door. And his eyes were this big around. He said he really shocked him when he pulled right into the guy's home, (laughs) the silver trailer right down from the church on the left. He said, how do you know where I live? He said, God told me. (laughs) He said he's never seen anybody get out of the car so fast. The wife comes out of the trailer, tears. Charlie, I can't believe you're back. Oh, this praise. Praise God, I can't believe you're back. And then Charlie whispers to his wife, and her eyes get really big. And Tony said, listen, you two, sit down. I need to tell you about God. And he said he led them to Christ right there. Now, let me ask you. Doesn't, doesn't. Wait for it. Wait for it. Here it comes. You can amen this. Doesn't God's name get glorified with that answer to prayer? Yes. Yes, it does. God cares about, God cares about his reputation and his name. And Jesus says he cares so much about his reputation, he's going to give you what you need. He doesn't say he's going to give you what you want. He says he's going to give you what you need. I thank God for the answered prayers he gives me, not based on what I want, but what I need. God is good, he is generous, he cares about his reputation, but he's also really, really wise, so much smarter than me. And so when God answers my prayers, not how I want it, but how he answers them, I have to praise him because he's so much smarter and wiser than me, and I can trust him that he's going to answer my prayers in a way that brings glory to his name. Doesn't it make you want to pray more? Knowing he wants to just pour love and grace on you, and he's going to give you what you need. And then the last story, this, uh, if you start looking for this, you're going to see it all over the scripture. It's called a chiastic structure, which, which kind of means this, the main point is in the middle. So the main point is surrounded by two stories. The first story is God's going to give you what you need. The second story is, happens uh, toward the end of the passage. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or ask for an egg, will give you a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you more Holy Spirit. See, we can pray to God for the goodness and generosity of his fatherhood, the greatness of God's reputation, but also we can pray to God for the grace of God's presence. The grace of God's presence. What you need more than anything else in your prayer life is more of God's presence. I promise you. I know that's hard to imagine because I know, what you're, I know, I know the path that you're thinking I've got this really hard conversation I need to have. I need wisdom. I need patience. I need more grace. 
You know what will supply that is if you are aware of God's presence. If you have more of your Holy Spirit within you, you will have what you're asking for. You'll have the wisdom, patience, and grace you need if you have more of God's presence. God says, you pray to me, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I know what you're saying. You're saying, I need this medical procedure answered. I need a healing. Well, God promises to heal in this world or the next. But what you need right now, and maybe you don't realize it, is you need more of the Holy Spirit. You need more of God's presence. And that will allow you to persevere through whatever trial and tribulation you have going on. It will even allow you, if you are sick and you are dying, and listen, it's coming for all of us. No one is going to live on this planet forever unless Jesus comes back before you die. You are heading toward (laughs) to meet your maker. You need God's presence so that you can stay faithful and strong all the way till the end. What you need is God's presence. And sandwiched in between those two stories, God's going to give you what you need so you can pray to him based on on the greatness of his reputation. And God's going to give you more of himself. You will need to pray to him because he's going to give you his grace of his presence. Sandwiched in between there is the main point of this passage on prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask and it will be given to you Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus tells us, listen, your father is a good and generous father. He wants to pour out love. He wants to give you every day exactly what you need for that day. He's going to give you, based on his goodness and generosity, and because he cares about his reputation, he's going to give you exactly what you need. And if you ask, he's going to give you more of himself, more of his presence. And if you have more of his presence, you will be able to endure. If you are aware of his presence, you'll be able to make the right decisions. If you are aware and attentive to his presence, he will guide and direct you. We need more of his presence. Ask for it, and he will give it to you. So Jesus is telling us, keep asking. Ask until God answers. Keep seeking. Seek, seek, seek until God reveals himself. And knock until God knocks you over with his love. Keep knocking until God gives you the generous, goodness, glorifying answer to his name that you need. And he promises he will. So how do we do this? How do we pray? Well, you can take, just straight up take the words Jesus gives you and use that as as your prayer. Our Father in heaven, I want to make your name holy. I want to bring about your will, your answer, your grace, your mercy everywhere I go on earth just like it is in heaven. The very center of the prayer, God, I know that you will supply exactly what I need today. Give us this day our daily bread. And God, I know that your will, your will on earth as it is in heaven is for me to be forgiven and for me to offer that forgiveness to everybody I come in contact with. So God, help me because I can't fight off temptation myself. I need help. So don't even let me go near temptation. And please, please, please protect me from the evil one. God says he will. 
He'll give you exactly what you need. And he'll give you more of your presence. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Or maybe, maybe you need a, an acronym to help you. I know uh, we did a prayer course uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're going to offer it again in June, July. It's a video course by this guy named Pete Gregg. I think he has this uh, great example of how to pray. He, he does this prayer course, How to Pray. I think in June and July we're going to offer this again. And he just says uh, you can use the word prayer, P or pray, P-R-A-Y. The P stands for, you know, we just need to pause. We need to settle our thoughts. We need to take some deep breaths. We need to relax. We need to try to become aware of God's presence because he's here with us. We just need to pause and sit still for a minute before we move into prayer. And then the R is rejoice. Rejoice because God is good and generous. Rejoice because he's a good father and he is listening to your prayer right now. Rejoice because he's going to answer your prayer, whatever you ask for. Rejoice because you can look back at all the times he was faithful, all the times he was compassionate, all the times he was merciful, and he wants to give that to you right now. You can just rejoice in God's presence. And then ask. Ask, seek, and knock. Just ask over and over and over again until God answers or he tells you to stop asking. And then yield. Yield to whatever answer he gives, knowing he is good and generous, and he's only going to give you an answer that's going to glorify his name and give you more of his presence. So however he answers your prayer, and he does answer prayers, yield to that answer. Surrender your will to his will, because he's smarter than we are, and his love is bigger than our love. You think you love your kids, he loves you more than you love your kids. He loves your kids more than you love your kids. You can yield to that love. That's why we pray. We pray because we get to move into the presence of somebody who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. He loves us so much that he goes to extraordinary lengths to reveal that love to us. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.